Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, this is Pablo Saboleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll bring you joy. Hello, socios. I hope this isn't self-indulgent, but the prospect of Manchester United returning to the camp now, albeit that they've played in Barcelona Stadium once since 20 years ago, they wrapped up the treble in such remarkable... Um, barnstorming style the the prospect of this game has dragged my mind a little bit back towards trying to share some of the drama of 20 years ago whether you're a United fan or you're not even if you're very fervently not that season was in my eyes full of remarkable events some of which give reason to why I'm here in Spain, why I've lived here in Spain for nearly two decades, for, nearly, for the large part of the two decades since that treble was completed against Bayern Munich in the camp now by Sheringham and Solskjaer. But a Manchester United team coached now by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming back to camp now with a 1-0 deficit, just as the Mario Basler goal gave them a 1-0 deficit all the way into added time back in 1999 in the Champions League final, has stirred the memories. And, well, you might believe this, but while talking about my own career or talking about my own experiences does sometimes give me a stab of, uh, not fear, but worry about self-indulgence. Sufficient people over the years have said, well, I like listening to those stories for me to say, I'll stick my chin out here, I'll take a little risk and I'll talk about the things that were happening around me um, 20 years ago because they did eventually cause me um, to live successfully in Spain for the best part of the subsequent 20 years. The first thing that comes to mind is, is a tiny little mention of the fact that people forget Manchester United in order to end up knocking Barcelona out of the Champions League group and reaching Camp Nou where the final was being held in order to celebrate Barcelona's centenary. People forget that Manchester United had to qualify. And they knocked out a Polish team, Lodz, having drawn nil-nil away from home. Um, and having dealt with them relatively firmly 
it looks like on paper. But I was at that game against Lodz very early on in the season, 12th of August. And it was an early goal from Giggs that put the tie back into Manchester United's hands. But it stayed 1-0 until nine minutes from time. In effect, United in those nine minutes um, were safe at 2-0 up because Lodz were never going to score two. But for the majority of the match, a single Polish goal would have knocked Alex Ferguson's team out on away goals and the treble would have disintegrated in August 1998. Another thing that sticks very, very firmly in my mind was that I was chief football writer down at the Mail and that brought, in my view, a huge pressure to try and um, get the line right, get the stories right, be the be the most accurate in analysis, try to get the best interviews. And I remember one interview, Yapstam had signed for, um, Yip Yapstam had signed for Manchester United. And going back and, and researching, I found that a contact I'd made while still in Scotland, a guy, do you remember him? Called Jimmy Calderwood. Jimmy, at that stage, was still coaching in Holland, was desperate to come back to Britain. There was no, nobody had thought of him as um, potentially Dunfermline manager, Aberdeen manager. And at that stage, Jimmy was desperate for a job in Britain. He'd been a Birmingham player. He'd gone and he'd played with Louis van Gaal for Sparta Rotterdam. I'd found this guy. I don't know how I'd found him by researching. Who'd gone through the Dutch KNVB coaching qualifications in Dutch. He'd taught himself the language while over there. Got his badge. And I'd coached, I think, Svola. I certainly coached Knack. Um, at any rate... Um, I found out that he'd coached Yapstam twice in his career. So ahead of the ch- the Community Shield, um, which <laughs> which it, it won't break their heart, which robbed um, Manchester United of, would it have counted as a quadruple or a quintuple? They lost the League Cup, I think, didn't they? Um, at any rate, it was Arsenal against Manchester United. And I spoke to Jimmy for my preview of Yapstam's impact at the centre of United's defence because this was going to be his first competitive match. And Jimmy said, well, look, Yapstam is a guy who starts terribly at clubs. He said, um, I've had him in his debut game for two different teams in Holland and he looks all over the place and he's somebody who needs to get going in order to focus in order to get his tremendous drive to win evident in order to get himself accustomed to the teammates around him he said watch out he'll start slowly and Jimmy gave a pause and I didn't dive in and he said by the end of the season and Jimmy's not a shy man by end of the season Jimmy Calderwood said Yapstam will be player of the season Yapstam will win all the awards everybody will think of him as a colossus Manchester United have signed somebody who will go down in history Okay, so the full-page interview went out on um, the morning of the Charity Shield, Community Shield, I think it's called, in 1998, when Arsenal thumped Manchester United 3-0 on the 8th of August, in the the weekend before that Lodz tie. And (laughs) Yapstam did not have a particularly coherent game. Um, It wasn't his fault necessarily only that uh, Overmars and Christopher Ray and Nicholas and Elka gave um, United a hell of a beating. And let's come to the end of the season a little bit later. Flicking through it, I find it really remarkable that um, in that term, uh, when United win a treble, 
Alex Ferguson only won uh, Manager of the Month twice. As United player only won it twice. When I think one was York, one was Roy Keane. And as they went through the the Champions League, because I don't propose to talk about the the Premier League very much until you know a little bit later, it, it has to be noted that in the group, which was Bronbu, uh, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, and United, I, I witnessed some football that. Well, at that stage, I hadn't seen the like of. The two three-all draws, um, first of all at Old Trafford, and then secondly at the Camp Nou, were were stunning. Punch and counter-punch. It reminded me of Hagler-Hearns. There was no real holding back by either side. In some instances, Barcelona were clearly... Um, technically more fluent. In some instances, United were patently ahead in terms of quickness of attack, in terms of link play, in terms of determination. Neither side could shake the other one off, but Barcelona did less well in their games against uh, Bayern Munich, and that meant that United and Bayern Munich went through. And and to be quite honest with you, deservedly so in my view. And then things that took us to the camp now really began to catch my attention because I'd been reporting in the World Cup of 98, um, an enormous experience. But I'd been at that game, which ah, to this day, was it in Lons? I'm fairly sure it was in Lons, where England played Argentina and England played tremendously well. There'd been an edict from FIFA at the beginning of the tournament. The tackle from behind was an automatic red card. And at a certain stage during the match, Diego Simeone, yeah, Cholo Simeone, um, still a warrior in them days, as he is now with Atletico. Diego Simeone had gone right through the back of David Beckham, and David Beckham had flicked his, his foot out of him in petulance. And Kim Milton Nielsen, the Danish referee, to this day, in my mind, got it astonishingly wrong by sending off Beckham. One, Beckham's offence wasn't a red card. Two, it, his was a red card. It, it highlighted, it spotlighted still more that Diego Simeone's tackle from behind, which immediately before the tournament, FIFA had warned everybody, media and referees alike, was an automatic red card. Simeone stayed in the pitch. Glenn Hoddle behaved like an idiot and hung Beckham out to dry, both in the dressing room and in the media, and the idiots took over. The idiots, which now <laughs> seem to be gaining credence in our country again, but the idiots who hung effigies of Beckham and made dartboards out of his face and gave him death threats. The whole issue of whether it was Beckham's fault that England went out of the World Cup despite the the penalty miss that actually put them out. The focus was wrong. Beckham became a, a pantomime villain for idiots. And then United drew Inter Milan at the heart of their midfield, Cholo Simeone once again. And we saw, even then, something that would characterise Beckham's career, his utter, ruthless, robotic determination that if he's been done down once, then he will prove the other person wrong, that he will supersede any trials, any tribulations, and he will win. It's something that I, I admire him for hugely. Very few similarities in outlook between him and me. We had a little bit of a an exchange of words in the World Cup in 98, subsequently made up. I have to say that whenever I meet his dad, Ted Beckham, who at the time in 98 took his son's side naturally, but since then, every time I meet Ted, 
he, he treats me very in a very friendly manner. So I feel we're over that now, 21 years later. <laughs> but I do admire him, despite the disparity between our, our the, the type of people that we are. I, I find it easy to say Beckham's ability, his willingness to practice, his unwillingness to be beaten at anything that he could turn his way, I, I absolutely adored. Now, in this game, um, Inter was strong, I thought. If you look at Djorkiev, if you look at Sanetti, Bergomi still strong, Pagliuca in goals, um, Roberto Baggio, Samorano, Pirlo. The big question was whether Ronaldo would be fit or not. And in the first leg, he wasn't. And in the first leg, all I can tell you is that I, I remember the heated atmosphere. I remember Beckham playing well. I remember, um, I'm pretty sure it was Ronnie Johnson. Well, there was a, there was one of the United defenders did a kind of star jump on the line to, to try and prevent Inter from scoring. York scored twice. Uh, United won at Old Trafford 2-0. Simeone and Beckham... Uh, kind of made up it looked like um, it didn't look as if there was going to be retribution in terms of studs or fists or loss of temper but Inter weren't quite out of it at that stage even at 2-0 you knew that there was such talent in the side the San Siro was a fearsome place they went over there and again I remember the the, the build up and was Ronaldo going to make it and he did so Ronaldo at a time when he was still, albeit just coming back to fitness, still at the peak of his powers. He was a genius footballer. Yeah, maybe, maybe the most talented outright centre forward there's ever been. However, that's for another day. I, I remember that I'd never seen a pitch that night in the San Siro where there was so much fruit. Honestly, it, 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 you know, it, now is Billingsgate fish? Where's the fruit market? There were pineapples, there were bananas, there were apples, there were oranges, all taken into the stadium and thrown at United's bench or United's players. It was literally astonishing. Inter played really well. Inter had United on the ropes. Nicola Ventola scored just after an hour. And for a significant amount of time, um, it looked like we, we would get an intersect and we would get to extra time. And if United weren't rocking... They were under huge, huge pressure. Then schools coming on with quarter of an hour left seemed, in my eyes, to change the cam, uh, the the way in which United could manage the ball. He scored with a couple of minutes left. United were through. The subplot really still tickled me. United were through and Beckham had beaten Simeone. Beckham had stuck one back on him and done it with elegance and intelligence and for me, being at both those games was an extraordinary experience. I felt a little bit of a specialist on the next round. I'd spent time just a couple of years early, earlier with um, Lippi. Lippi, the Juventus coach, the great coach. Somebody who'd eventually lead Italy to another World Cup triumph. And Lippi, because the then I'd gone over for a study tour on my own. I'd been given two, three days access. I went back with... The late Tommy Burns, then Celtic manager for another couple of days access where Lippi sat with us at training and talked us through training, sat with us for lunch and talked to, to us through the, the desire Juventus had to win the European Cup after the after the brutality of 
the situation in the Liverpool final against Juventus at Heysel, Lippi explained that Juventus felt like Ferguson did that they're about United that Juventus number one didn't have enough European trophies number two that they wanted to lift the trophy on a night where joy rather than pain and anger were the dominant emotions he did that um, against Ajax in Gianluca Vialli's final match before leaving for Chelsea but here they were again in the semi-finals with an ultra strong team they came to Old Trafford in the semi-final and frankly they ran the game they ran the game in a way that was resembling, in my view, the way that United didn't turn up against Paris Saint-Germain this season. A game where you knew that there was maybe a really potent force coming to Manchester. Um, that time, the ones that, you know, I can't remember being hugely impressed with in that um, in that uh, Juventus team would be Mirkovic. And Mark Juliano did a job. Um, I understood what his presence was for. But when you compare him to Peruzzi, Montero, Pesotto at fullback, Delivio, Antonio Conte, Didier Deschamps, Zidane, Edgar Davids, Pippo Inzaghi, the legendary Ciro Ferrara, Alessio Tacanardi, somebody I was friendly with when he was here in Spain, Snyder, this was genuinely a first-class Juve team. And they ran the show. They ran the show. Conte scored. Juventus looked like they were going to win 1-0. Late, 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 Ryan Giggs scored. What I remember is a weird header from a sort of deflected shot, a sort of second post header or wide right of the box header running onto it. But at any rate, as disappointing as the result was for, ah, listen, as uh, for UK journalists who, who want a UK team to go to the final, but brutal for United fans and for Ferguson. It was 1-1 rather than 1-0. Turin in leading to the camp now, well, there was trouble outside the ground. It was hard for me and my colleague, Jeff Powell, to get into the ground. Um, when we did get in, our our, our tandies, our, our laptop communication systems, in those days, we certainly didn't call it the internet. I don't think it was the internet. We, we communicated via linking, plugging our, our tandy computers into our mobile phones and kind of sending our copy back and praying, because you never really knew if it would get there, if the words would be corrupted by systems, as in like become symbols rather than letters, all that kind of stuff. We were in a section where Juventus fans were throwing coins at us, um, dropping bags of liquid, <clears throat> whatever was in those bags, I shudder to think. It was a brutal situation. Um, we were exposed <laughs> to the to the madness. It had been an ultra-hostile, dangerous um, atmosphere outside the ground. And before we could blink our eyes, Pippo had put Juventus 3-1 up. Two goals that were sort of rebounds, deflections. The ball went in a strange way, bouncing over uh, Peter Schmeichel. Just, it seemed at that stage meant that Juve were going through. They'd, they'd won, you know, if the first leg was a technical knockout. It might say on the judge's scorecard, 1-1, but it was TKO Juventus. And they were 2-0 up at home and roaring. At that stage, now I haven't done my research, I'm sorry, but I think at that stage Juventus hadn't been knocked out of Europe for about seven years. The only time they'd lost in Europe was a couple of losing finals. But apart from that, nobody had eliminated them from a knockout round in Europe for about six or seven years. And there they were, 3-1 up with an away goal. It's it's the stuff of legend 
Now, I I would say that on the night, I I wasn't fully aware of exactly how towering Keane's performance was. It was impressive because he led. And he led having been booked from a, a pretty sort of a, a pass that fell short. I forget who gave him the pass. I th- was it? Anyway, I forget who gave him the pass, but I remember him remonstrating at the time that the pass had been short. And I wasn't, in my honest opinion, I wasn't absolutely sure that Urs Meyer, who I spoke to about this at a dinner um, subsequently, and he was like, well, maybe right, maybe wrong, but that's a referee's lot. Anyway, half an hour in, Keane's booked. A booking was automatically going to suspend him from the final. And for the subsequent 60 minutes, let's call it, Keane did play well. I knew that much. To to, to be to, to try and pretend I, I had an awareness of how gigantic his performance was would be false. And, and I claim distraction because United as a team played brilliantly. And within um, 20 minutes of Inzaghi having put them 2-0 um, up, it was 2-2. And automatically at that stage, United were through after barely half an hour. And what you are caught with then is is staring because you stare at them and you ask yourself, when you were overwhelmed, um, I think it was two weeks before or a week before, where were you? Where was this? They they, they played with such bollocks, such chutzpah. They, they, the ball flowed. Juventus began to have to chase and turn. United played with exactly the same brio, joie de vivre that they'd shown in the camp now against Barcelona and at Old Trafford against Barcelona. It was literally thrilling. So I excused myself from, I can't remember the, the, the bulk of my match report. I do remember the, the intro because it was about the way that the previously brutal, hostile Juventus fans acknowledged the handing over of power because they stood and applauded at the end. Andy Cole made it 3-2. I, I seem to remember the, the post being hit a couple of times. I think it could have been 4 or 5-2 to, to Manchester United. And in my experience, it, it had already become one of the great European away performances by any British side. And I wrote about that. And it was just about a year later in Budapest when... Um, we were at an England international and a guy that I didn't recognise approached me, slick back hair, um, trendy, dark framed specs and started telling me about how uh, he thought I'd written the best piece on Manchester United that season. And um, it was Jason Ferguson, Alex, um, the twin of Darren and younger brother to Mark, Alex Ferguson's son. So I was kind of touched by that a year later, but at the time I wrote what I thought I saw, which was hostile, aggressive fans used to domination, surrendering their crown with elegance and applauding United around the pitch. The UV fans turned their behaviour around 180 degrees from how they'd started the night with violence and coin throwing and attacks on United fans and journalists. At any rate, the night was was pretty extraordinary and at that stage you begin to think well Bayern Munich again as good as Bayern Munich were in the group games um, against United and again I would have said that in Munich itself um, 
the Hitzfeld side was probably better than, than United. And therefore, I for one wasn't ruling that um, Bayern Munich would be easy meat, particularly with no Keane and no Paul Scholes. And there was to lie the drama. Okay, we're back. We're back in the build-up to um, what was going to be the last three games of United's treble. My memory tells me again that something extraordinary happened. Um, United were overloaded with games, obviously, because they had to play Tottenham on the last day of the league season. And it was absolutely imperative that they win because Arsenal could still win the title and were likely to win their home match. United had to beat Spurs. Spurs had knocked United out of the League Cup. So the idea that um, this would be a gimme um, and that the league title would be just automatically wrapped up, well, that was absolutely wrong. And if you want to go back and hear a little bit about that, um, then listen to our interview with Sir Les Ferdinand. He scored after 24 minutes at Old Trafford that day in what was the league showdown. Um, Les speaks well about that. Anyway, because there was going to be sequentially from one weekend to the next, a league decider, then the FA Cup, and then the following midweek was going to be the Champions League, Manchester United, in their wisdom, took the decision to hold a giant, mega press conference, media conference for the whole of Europe. And the idea was that in one giant swoop, they would let Europe's media come and question a set number of players and the manager about the looming treble and that they would get everything done on the one day. So on the 13th, Thursday, the 13th of May, we were all gathered there to talk about the following Sunday's match against Spurs and then the match nine days later against Newcastle United in the FA Cup final, plus the match, well, I don't know how many days later in the Champions League, my arithmetic isn't that good. So a little taste of colour. And I mean this just to share what it's like, because most of you wouldn't have experienced just quite this. In fact, I've never experienced this before or since. But the mighty Sir Alex Ferguson um, was reduced. At one stage, there was an argument about where the manager interview could take place so that only the dailies could, the daily newspapers could hear it. And everybody looked around and every space was being used. And um, at that stage, the idea was that there was a big cupboard available. So the 10 or 12 daily newspaper people and the, and the United manager, at that stage still only Alex Ferguson, were, we were all moved into a cupboard. It was a spacious cupboard, but, you know, by any degree, this was quite odd. I think let's just say that brutally. It was very odd. The question turns at one stage to has, for all Alec Ferguson's league triumphs, the question is that very few of them um, have been won at Old Trafford. The majority of them have been won either in absentia when another team doesn't perform and United are crown champions or maybe they win away from home and that's enough to wrap up the title. And there were one or two occasions prior to that Sunday against Spurs, but it was viewed as something of a... And then the question comes in to Fergie, you know, have you, did you win many league titles at home with Aberdeen? 
the strangest thing happened. It was like it was like uh, like some sort of Hollywood crime movie where the 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 the, the sort of major participant, the the hero or anti-hero, just kind of turns his eyes to the camera and looks straight down the camera. And for all that, you know, the, Fergie was being asked by a journalist about his record with Aberdeen, and he he named having won his first league title with Aberdeen away at Hibs. And he turned to me and said, do we, do we win any other ones at home? <laughs> now, this was a stage when, through none of my doing, my newspaper was um, was banned um, from Old Trafford. I have no idea why he allowed me in that cupboard, but he did. Um, the, the reason for the ban was something that happened before I even moved to London. So I, I claimed clean hands. But in this little broom cupboard, being asked about my club winning the title in Scotland under Sir Alex Ferguson, and Fergie turns to me to see if I remember the 26th of April, 1985, when a 1-1 draw with Celtic and a header by Willie Miller clinches the title for us. <laughs> I, I suggest that perhaps we did win at home under Fergie in 1985. And the moment passes... And um, I don't know why he did this to this day. And the day will live in my memory for one more thing. Alex Ferguson at this stage is doing an open press conference for all the media, sitting in his chair, as, well, actually sitting at a table this time. And it's a round robin thing. And there's a German journalist there. And my memory is that he was from Kicker. And he says... Bayern Munich have got the title wrapped up. Bayern Munich have got all the domestic work done. Bayern Munich are going to approach this final rested, finely tuned, ready. Whereas you, you've got the league decider, then you've got the FA Cup final, and then you're going to come to Barcelona and you're not going to have two of your men. Don't you feel that Bayern have a great big advantage? And Fergie just sort of looked at him, waited and went, we'll be battle ready. Maybe Bayern won't be ready. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. He was already calculating that maybe, maybe, maybe Bayern might be in better nick, but that his SAS guys would have the hardness, the edge. Was he guessing? Could, could he see the future? Was it just the voice of experience? I don't know. I don't know. But what happens in Barcelona bears him out. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, I guess this is where it gets, I don't know, in my view, it gets a little bit weird. Uh, Sir Les scores, and if I don't remember wrongly, Beckham and Cole turn it round, United win the title. Um, and I remember it being very tight. I remember at Old Trafford that day, the the, the scoreline from um, Arsenal, from Highbury, um, being whispered around the stadium in growing voices. But United deserved to win that game. Spurs fell away from it, and and very strongly indeed. Um, and and by the time that the the margin, you know, was two one, I don't think there was any real doubt about who was going to win. And so they go to um, Barcelona, having won the the league, having won the cup at a canter against Newcastle. Sorry, Jordi Nation, um, but that's absolutely true. That is what happened. And then it's it's Bayern Munich, and to be fair, it feels at the time that the the build up is is good for United. That um, they base themselves at Sitges, just um, above the Aguadolce beach, in a great big hotel. I forget the name of the chain, but it's a sort of great big layer to tell, um, like a layer cake, and it sits there at the top of a little hill overlooking uh, the Mediterranean. And a little weird things happened in that we're billeted. We can't get accommodation. Our 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 travel service cannot get us accommodation in the city of Barcelona. Um, albeit that it's the Champions League final. You know, and I now look at Barcelona and think, well, did, did we have absolute incompetence working for us then? We, we're placed in a place called Sitges, which is about, um, I don't know, 25 minutes down the coast. And it's where Sir Bobby Robson lived when he was manager. And around that area, many of the Dutch footballers, De Boers, Koku, uh, Cliver, originally lived. And, you know, it's a very bonny place. We walk along um, the town and along a sort of cliff edge where there are nudist beaches and the the, the Fleet Street's finest are, are both shocked and titillated to find that that's the highlight of their route to the United Hotel. The press conferences there are are apparently good. My paper isn't allowed at them because we're banned. So what Fergie was doing allowing me in his broom cupboard at Old Trafford, I can't tell you. And the build-up seems fine. It's, it's boisterous in the city of Barcelona because the club is still celebrating its 100 year anniversary irrespective of not having qualified for the final having gone out in the group there's an atmosphere that's over and above simply hosting a Champions League final nice meals are had drinks are taken match day arrives and at the stadium I have to say that it feels like 
it feels epic. It's what it feels. Sir Alex Ferguson changed my life as manager of Manchester of Aberdeen. Changed my perspective, my horizons, my idea. When I was watching his club and when I was meeting him and when he was helping me get to the 82 World Cup final and get tickets there. Um, an experience that made me want to live in Spain. Um, and it just felt that everything was coming together. Um, the match, I felt that David Beckham in the centre of midfield didn't have the type of game that you'd expect him normally to have in a European Cup final. But he was there because of the dearth of um, Scholes and Keane because Beckham had always wanted, had always believed that he could control games centrally rather than on the right wing. Poor old uh, Jesper Blomqvist had a quiet game. United were, I would say, by their own standards, a little bit toothless. And Bayern Munich picked them apart. Basler's free kick under the wall that left Schmeichel rooted to the spot was, I suppose it was witty. Anyway, you know me better. I'm not going to do a Peter Schmeichel impersonation, but I will read you. If you're a fan of the big interview and you're a socio listening to this, you'll you'll know my style. And I, I said to Schmeichel in one of the most wide-ranging, fascinating interviews I've ever participated in, and that was on him, not me. But I said to him, what relationship do you have with the goal frame? Because you see keepers kicking their studs, touching the bar, because the goal frame is your house. But that night, 1999, your house helped save your team. What was happening in your mind when, and he cuts me off, he, he barges straight in because I've caught his attention, I've caught his enthusiasm. And he said, this is Michael now. He said, it was really weird. I'll, I'll tell you what's weird. Because when Karsten Yanker hit the bar, I knew it wasn't going in. You, you kind of know these things. You know when it's going in and when it's not going in. And I knew that was not going in. And in my mind, I don't know if it's the truth, but in my mind, I knew that if it was going within the goal frame, if it was actually going in, I'd save it. That's how I'm thinking. So I'm not really surprised. But when Scholes, Mehmet Scholes, chip hit the post, I didn't turn around at first because I knew that was 2-0. I just knew that was going to be 2-0. When I saw it hit the woodwork and come back straight to me, I knew then we were going to win. I knew at least that we were not going to concede any more goals. That's the kind of feeling you have. You know, it's unscientific. It can't be proved. But it gives you a sort of, an extra sort of motivation. Not that you need motivation, but it gives you something extra. It gives you confidence. It gives you belief that nothing is going to happen. But at any rate, what was true is that Karsten Janker, amongst others, had the chance to finish the final. But who amongst us, with 90 minutes clicking up, thought that the game wasn't finished at 1-0? That's what I ask you. Certainly, we're in a press-over spill, writing away on our computers, three rows in front of me. I can see Teddy Sheringham's boy, Charlie um, Sheringham. At the time, I don't know that the blonde-haired kid sitting next to him is Casper Schmeichel, but it is. At the time... I don't know that Casper Schmeichel and Charlie Sheringham are somehow, without accreditation, without anybody knowing who they are, are going to sneak down onto the pitch and find their way down the tunnel into their father's dressing room to celebrate with them and the cup. And nobody to this day has been able to explain to me how these two kids, who must have been 10, 11, I don't know, managed to do it. It's, it's extraordinary. But they did, by Peter Schmeichel's own testimony. And... 
the, the stories are myriad. Leonard Johansson heading down to the pitch with Bayern Munich ribbons on the cup. And by the time he got there, the cup had been won by the other team. To my right-hand side, both De Boers and Coco and Clive are sitting together watching the game, shaking their head, watching the, the pitiful display they think they're seeing from Manchester United and thinking, we should have been there. We might have had a chance. It's our own fault. They leave eight, nine, ten minutes before the end. It, it's now legend that late George Best was there and left early. It's legend. I don't know if it's true, but it is a legendary story, tale. Um, things just go on and on. To me, the emotion of thinking um, United have lost the treble in a, in a manner which is unrepresentative of their entire season. Um, they're not my club. Um, Aberdeen are my club. And therefore, I was objective, neutral. But neutral, but I clearly wanted Alex Ferguson to lift the European Cup. That that was something that I thought was an attractive thing for me. And and was huge for him. Both him, both he and his brother had told me about Hamden in nineteen sixty and going there to watch Real Madrid and their fascination with the European Cup. And therefore for Alex Ferguson to be this close and for it not happen seemed to me to be brutal. And I remember looking at the scoreboard to my left. 90 minutes clicks up there. Charlie sharing on the shoulders slump, literally. I look back up to the pitch and Sheringham is, is at the edge of the six-yard box sort of steering that 1-1 one, one goal home. And the overwhelming emotions for me, just thinking I'm witnessing something extraordinary here, that, that really hit me like a, like, like a Sherman tank running over you. And... I the phone rings from London. The whole newspaper is being held for this result. They're screaming at each other now. But can we send the paper at one one and do the second goal for? Can we do extra time for later editions? And the second goal goes in. Solskjaer scores, and I just put the phone down. I just put the phone down, and I have to gulp a lot, not to burst into tears, because in in my instant appreciation that Aberdeen manager is going to win the Champions League. That's all I felt. The only thing I felt. It's 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 ludicrous. And I am a bit overly obsessed with my club. I, I, I admit that now. I'll deny it that I ever said this. I'll, I'll say that this was manufactured by the CIA when this gets reused. But Aberdeen does probably mean too much to me. But all I saw was the Aberdeen manager about to lift the European Cup. You knew I was weird already. But then all hell breaks loose because the phone goes again. The paper genuinely is going to wait now because it's 2-1 United because the final whistle's about to go. My editor is still screaming at me because of his his ill feeling with Ferguson that we need to angle that match report against Ferguson's decision to put. And the reason behind this is that the thousand-word match report that you have to write needs to be sent fully as a fully composed piece by 15 minutes before the end. So I've sent a Manchester United last night lost, blah, 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 a thousand words to a space in a, in a newspaper spread, the inside spread, the back two pages before the back page itself. So the back inside two, it's called a spread. And the words are placed in the page when Soskar is doing his merry magic. <laughs> The papers, are, the the pictures are in the page. The, the captions are there. The headline is written, and they're ready to. That's the only thing. Press that button, and the whole paper goes to print. 
if the paper doesn't go to print before a certain time, certain parts of the country literally don't, don't get their paper. So my command from base is hammer Ferguson and give us 450 words to go on the top of the... We'll, lop, we'll chop off the first 450 words of your report. We'll lop on this new 450 words, but you've got five minutes to write them. So your fingers fly, you crash stuff out. I write an intro about Manchester United. I think I actually say Bayern Munich last night turned wine into water and Manchester United became treble winners in a night of blah, blah, blah. And I wrote another few paragraphs and they got their 400 odd words and I sent it in and I breathed. And what I didn't know was happening was that once the, I was upstairs in the camp now rewriting those thousand words so that for later editions of the paper it would seem more considered, that it would seem more um, clear-cut, it would be, the whole writing would be predicated on United winning the treble and the, the trials and tribulations of the night in getting there. So I wrote the best I could. It takes a little bit of time. And what I didn't know was that by that stage the press conferences had finished and the Bayern Munich press officer who I met subsequently when going down to interview one of his players in a winter camp in Marbella told me that after Hitzfeld and Ferguson had each finished their press conferences by sheer coincidence one of them came out at the far end of the the track that runs or the the path that runs in front of the main stand Hitzfeld came out there Ferguson came up the stairs to savour the last goodbye to the camp now and turned to his right and saw about 85 metres away Hitzfeld. So Hitzfeld keeps walking forward and Ferguson turns to his right and walks towards his opponent. And, and the press officer for Bayern was by Hitzfeld's side and Fergie was on his own. And something told this press officer for Bayern Munich just to step away. And kind of like High Noon, let the two antagonists, the two protagonists of the night, the manager who thought the trophy was his, and the manager who said to Steve McLaren, never mind extra time, we're going to win this, the former Aberdeen manager, they walked towards each other, just totally silently, reached each other and embraced. And with barely a word shook hands and walked away from each other. I wish I'd seen that, but I'm glad I was told about it. It seems to me to be elegant and professional and touching. The wrap-up of all of this, I guess, was that years later I had the most extraordinary one-on-one -on -one interview that I think I've ever had with Peter Schmeichel who admitted that by the time they got back to Manchester and the celebrations were ongoing and the streets were packed, all he wanted to do was go to bed and that he was not enjoying a minute of it and that he was just so physically and emotionally exhausted that he couldn't wait for it to end. And another little bonus for me was that that every season for the chief football writers of the main newspapers, there was a dinner held by Vic Wakeling 
who was head of Sky Sports. It was held in a restaurant right next to um, House of Commons to, to the extent that it had the division bell in the restaurant as well. So if you were an MP in there and eating, the division bell rang. You ran to the to the parliament to, to vote. And we ate there and it was it was each year you would make your predictions for the coming season and then they would be held and then the winners would be announced the next year and blah, 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 and we went. It was a, it was a fantastic event. It was interesting. It was where everybody could talk openly. It was where the least backbiting was done and where the most, I think, honesty and camaraderie was shown for the entire season between this group of cutthroat hacks. And Vic started his um, speech at the beginning by saying that he'd been at the camp now, obviously as producer for Sky. Um, producer, even though he was head of Sky Sports, he was helping produce the, the, the final, um, I guess, by a minute, live on Sky. And Vic is the guy who came up with the idea a few years later, 2005, of finishing Sky's broadcast of Liverpool against Milan and um, in Istanbul with Sean Connery um, speaking over or doing a vocal spoken version of the Beatles in my life. <laughs> I phoned him at three in the morning. I'd had a drink or two to, to wake him up to congratulate him on his genius and I don't know if he appreciated that. He's gone now. Um, but Vic said that day um, in August 1999 that he'd gone to Barcelona Airport knowing that first editions, in his view, would either not have the result of the game or would have the, a false statement match gone to extra time or would have, worse still, Bayern Munich winning the Champions League because first editions that you get in a foreign country are printed very early with a ruthless, ruthless deadline. And as an ex-newspaper man himself, he fully expected that that's what he would see. And he got there. And having worked for the Mail in the past, he picked up the Mail first and read my first edition match report. And he said that he said this has been a, this was a proud day for British journalism, a proud day for me. I couldn't believe what I was reading in a first edition in Barcelona Airport, that it was so well written and that it had so much information of what happened beyond the 90th minute. Which was nice to hear, but not very practical. Um, and it, it brought an awareness to me because I did what I thought was best and I did what I could without really knowing the impact it would have. But a couple of years later, when um, I got kicked out of the mail um, by a, a fat fool and a bully, um, what happened was Vic Wakeling got in touch and said, are you moving to Spain? And I said, yes. He said, we'll be in touch. And they were. And I spent... I don't know, 15 years on Revista de la Liga, thanks to that intro that night and Vic Wakeling being impressed. The world is strange. And therefore, we have Manchester United not coming to the Champions League final at the camp now. Whether they win or lose and go through or go out, the Champions League final is at the Metropolitano in Madrid. But And even though they've been back um, when they knocked Barcelona out in 2008, Rijkaard was the manager then, a nil-nil draw. Manchester United coming back on Champions League duty to play in the camp now with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager, I felt was something that I couldn't ignore because it was a time that marked my life in an extraordinary way. And I'm very grateful to have been there. And I'm here talking to you because of it.